Thank you, Paul. We um, had taken a couple of weeks off from our David series. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we, were, um, taught, we were having Children's Sunday, and then last week we, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday. But the two weeks prior to that, you might remember, we talked about David and Goliath. And this week, we're coming to the chapter in Scripture just after David and Goliath. Now, many people kind of think, you know, David kills Goliath, and then he becomes king. And as we'll discover in this study, David is a long way from being king. Today we're going to walk through 1 Samuel chapter 18, and let me invite you to find a Bible and turn there with me, 1 Samuel chapter 18. And this chapter really has a variety of inter interactions, a variety of relationship dynamics, but they kind of help us understand the, the total story. In some ways, the chapter will seem like a soap opera. I told you in the intro sermon on David that this uh, study will be anything but boring. And on the one hand, we're going to watch as David's popularity grows. And on the other hand, we're going to see those who want to see David dead. So let's dig in together. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 18. The chapter begins with a continuation of chapter 17. As you might remember, after David killed Goliath, he was in conversation with Saul. And so we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, we learn two things from these first four verses here. First of all, we learn that David becomes best friends with Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. This will prove to be a strong friendship. We know that Jonathan is a follower of God. He and David share this. They have a bond that is described as one in spirit. And he loved him as himself. Now, when you think about it, David and Jonathan could have been and maybe should have been enemies. Jonathan is the king's son. He should be the next king. And yet David has shown tremendous courage in killing Goliath. You might think that Jonathan would be a bit jealous of David. But this is not the case. Because David and Jonathan both trust God. They both lean into that relationship. Jonathan does not take after his father. He has a different disposition. And we need to know this and understand this as we walk through the story together. Secondly, we learn from these first few verses here that Saul does not allow David to return to Jesse. You, you might remember when David would console Saul by playing his harp. He would come to and from the palace. He would sometimes go out to the sheep field, take care of sheep, and then he would come back into the palace for a while. But now things have changed. Saul brings David into his inner circle. He's going to stay with him, and his actions will be directed by Saul. Look at verse 5. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. So here's David in the company of Saul. He, he's not yet king. In fact, he's going to have to go through tremendous suffering and pain before God brings him into the position of king. God is obviously not ready for David to be king at this point. But let's keep going in the story. David is becoming a national hero. The, the teenager who took care of Israel's biggest problem, Goliath. And word has spread. 
The dynamic of becoming famous sometimes destroys people. We often watch teenagers who have experienced fame act out in desperate ways in society today, don't we? And while many of us might aspire to be famous, the results of being famous are not always positive. Sometimes when we're famous, it has a way of getting into our heads. We have a tendency to think more of ourselves than we should. But look at how David handles the fame. It says in verse 6, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain the thousands, but and David his tens of thousands. You see, David is popular. He's the top uh, story on all the news networks, right? He's trending on Twitter. He's in everybody's Facebook feed. No, not really. But they were writing songs about him. They were comparing him to the king. And they were saying, Saul is okay, but David is great. Saul has killed thousands, but David tens of thousands. He's getting a lot of attention. Look at how Saul reacts in verse 8. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with ten thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Saul did not like the new song. He was not happy that David was being exalted. He was feeling threatened by David. He wonders if David will take over the kingdom. Now, we have to go back to the story a bit, the backstory a bit, to remember Saul had been rejected as king. Do you remember that? Samuel had told him this. And we know that the Spirit of the Lord is no longer on Saul. And Saul knows this. He's not secure in his position. And so he feels threatened. He feels jealous. He feels suspicious of David. Look at verse 9. From that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. He is not sure what's going to happen next. He's expecting David to do something, to perhaps try to take over the kingdom. He doesn't trust David. All the while, as we'll see in the coming chapters, David remains humble and submissive. David is trusting that God will take care of things in his time. We also have to remember that David has been anointed by Samuel, and it would have been easy for him to claim what was rightfully his, to say, look, God wants me to be king. He's already anointed me as king. I'm going to step in and do what needs to be done to become king. But David doesn't do that. Again, he doesn't let the popularity and fame go to his head. Look at what Saul does next, verse 10. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon, uh, on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. So the next day, this evil spirit from God comes on Saul. We talked about this dynamic a few weeks ago. This evil spirit here comes on him. We're not exactly sure how that works out, but I think it's best understood is that God's spirit has left Saul, right? God's spirit is no longer on Saul, and this evil spirit comes. And when it does, Saul hurls his spear at David, not once, but twice. And we're not sure if David somehow leaves the room or if he actually dodges the spear. You, you think it'd be an awkward conversation later for Saul to have to explain why he threw his spear at David, right? Maybe he explained that he was training David for battle or something like that. 
But we know Saul's intentions. We know that Saul is trying to get David out of the picture. We read in verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. And this goes back to what happened earlier. And so we have Saul living in paranoia. He's afraid. He's fearful. The Lord is not with him. And at the same time, we understand that the Lord is with David. We get a bit more information here in verse 13. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. And everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. Now, we have to be careful here because it might be easy to assume that when God is with us, success happens. God is with David and so he wins, we think. But we must understand that God is allowing David's success at this point in his life because it's a part of his plan. At other times, David is going to have hardship, and God is still with him in his hardship, too. We must also understand that David's success is not from his own ability. We know that Saul is a great warrior. Saul has had many successful battles. But the scripture wants us to understand that God is the one who wins the battle. And he is giving David success at this point. Look at Saul's reaction in verse 15. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaign. Again, Saul is suspicious. He's fearful. David's popularity is growing. Saul's jealousy is also growing. Let's keep going in the story. The spear did not work. Saul was unable to take David out in this way. Now, remember, David is popular, so Saul can't just have him killed. People will think he's crazy if he does that. So he devises a plan in verse 17. Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Merib. I'll give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. You might remember that part of the reward for killing Goliath was having Saul's daughter in marriage. Do you remember that part? But now Saul raises the bar. You can have my daughter in marriage, but you got to keep fighting for me. Saul figures if David keeps fighting, he'll eventually slip up and die in battle. That's his intention there. He knows that God is with David, but he somehow thinks that David will die if he just keeps fighting in battles. But the reality is that when God is with you, when God has a plan for you, that's not going to happen. God has a greater plan for David, and Saul cannot stop it. Look at David's response in verse 18. But David said to Saul, who am I and what is my family or my clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? So when the time came for Merib, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given in marriage to Adriel of Mahola. So David responds in humility. I guess you could make the case that maybe he didn't want to marry Merib for whatever reason. But if you look closely at the text here, David doesn't seem to be refusing. He's simply responding in humility. And when the time comes for Merib to marry, Saul gives her to somebody else. Now, it's difficult to know exactly how this worked out. But it seems that Saul is kind of going back on his word here. Kind of toying with David a bit. Let's keep reading verse 20. Now, Saul's daughter, Michal was in love with David, and when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. So Merib is the older daughter, Michal is the younger daughter, and she's in love with David. And we later see that she is like her father, Saul, in many ways. She doesn't have the same heart for God that David has. Now, I'll not spoil the story, but we'll see how this will work out later on in the story. 
But Saul has a plan. He wants to use his daughter to trap David. Look at how it's going to work out. Verse 21. I'll give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him, and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Maybe he had this in mind when he gave the daughter number one to another man. Saul is using his daughter's love for his own purposes. He's attempting to get David out of the picture. Saul is not sure how David's going to respond, so he sends some people to talk to David in verse 22. Then Saul ordered his attendants, speak to David privately and say, look, the king likes you and his attendants all love you. Now become his son-in-law. Now, in the ancient world, if you married the king's daughter, it would often cost you financially. And, and David is not sure that he can afford it. Look at what he says in verse 23. They repeated the words to David, but David said, Do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. So David is remaining humble, even though he's extremely popular. He does not have a big head. He says, I'm poor. I can't afford to be married to the king's daughter. Maybe Saul knew that David and Michal were attracted to one another, and he sets it up as a trap. Look at verse 24. When Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, Say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. That was the plan, right? David wants Michal. Saul says, I'll use her to lure David into battle. And David, you're poor. You can't afford to be married to the king's daughter. So I'll work out a deal with you. You just bring me 100 Philistine foreskins. Now, in the ancient world, it was customary for a groom to pay or gift the father of the bride. Now, if the bride was the king's daughter, you would imagine that the gift would need to be extravagant. This would explain David's hesitancy here. Now, oftentimes, the groom and the bride's father would agree on a gift ahead of time or a price. This is what's going on here. You might be asking the question, why does he want foreskins? Now, this has to do with the fact that the people of God are circumcised. And pagans are not. And so by bringing the foreskins, this was a way to affirm that they are a pagan people. Now, normally in the ancient Near East, heads or hands were cut off of slain victims and counted as a way to prove that the enemies were slain. And so that's what's going on here. Look what happens next in verse 26. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, David took his men with him and went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. They counted out the full numbers of the king, so, to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave his daughter Michal in marriage. David doesn't bring 100, instead he brings 200. David outdoes himself. We've got to remember God is with him. He is leading him in this success. And then the last two verses of a chapter here, we get an overview of Saul's attitude toward David. Look at verse 28. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and remained his enemy the rest of his days. Saul is more afraid, more jealous, more fearful than he was before. These events illustrate Saul's attempt to take David out, but everything seems to backfire for him. In closing, we read in verse 30, 
The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle as often as they did. David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. David is growing in popularity. Saul is growing in fear and jealousy. As we come to a close of this chapter, we're setting the stage for the next scene in the story. Certainly, David did not ascend to king as soon as he killed Goliath. There are many pieces of a story, many obstacles that David will face before he becomes king. But we learn in this text here what it means to walk in the spirit of the Lord. We, we see, don't we, the contrast between David and Saul. The spirit of the Lord is not with Saul. And instead, he is living in fear. He's living in jealousy. He's living in resentment. At the same time, the spirit of the Lord is with David. And he's living in humility in confidence, in assurance that God is going to take care of all things. And so as we think about this, as we think about our lives here in 2023, some of these ancient um, dynamics might seem foreign to us, and really they are foreign to us. But we live as followers of Jesus. We live as those who are led by the Spirit of the Lord. And we can have some of the same characteristics that David has here. Now, I don't know about you. But if I were David, I might be struggling at this point. I might be asking God, did you not anoint me as king? What's going on here? You'll see in the coming chapters, David will have more and more reason to resent Saul. But all the while, David remains calm. David remains humble. David continues to trust God. Maybe this morning you find yourself in a circumstance where you're wondering, what is God up to? What's he doing? Things aren't working out like I want them to work out. Where is your focus? Is it on God? Or is it in your circumstances? Maybe this morning, everything's going really well for you. And maybe you're tempted to think that it's all because of you. Maybe God will be, be reminding you through this story that he is the reason for your success. How might God be speaking to us through this story this morning? Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful this morning for the story of David. God, may we continue to trust you even when things don't work out like we want them to work out. God, when someone else has something that we want, when our life is not as we wish, God, we pray that jealousy would not creep in, but rather we would simply trust that you know what's best for us. That you would give us all that we need. And God, when times are good for us, when things are going as we like, as we desire, we pray, God, that we would give you all the praise and all the glory. That we would trust you in that as well. So God, no matter what life brings, we pray for your peace, for your assurance, for your humility. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.